So one of the things that we add to Jesus that makes Jesus less is our identity. Um, we see Jesus through a lens, and typically that lens is often the thing that we identify as. Um, now, you might not know what you identify as, but uh, as we begin this sermon, and I, I understand this, what I'm about to say is a divisive topic, and I'm going to ask a divisive question. But a lot of times, the things that divide us are the things that drag Jesus down, right? Because Jesus unites us, and if there's things that divide us, then they're the things that drag Jesus down. So, you don't have to show your hands. Who will cut a middle piece out of a pan of brownies? <laughs> All right, that's fine. It's sin. It's fine. <laughs> if it's not cut, if it's already cut, you can get it. Now, here's what happened in my family. I, Rachel always thought I liked the middle piece. And then I, one day I said that I liked the corner piece. And she said, I thought for, we've been married 13 years at this point. I thought that you liked the middle piece. And I said, I don't, I can't remember. She said, you like the middle piece because it's gooey. And I said, but it doesn't have any of the crispy part. I do like the gooey part. Specifically, I think you just ruin brownies by putting them in the oven at all. <laughs> just drink the batter straight. It's worth the salmonella, that's for sure. But... I messed with her so much about it, to, like right now, I can't really tell you which one I like. And we've decided that I just like brownies. They're the best. And when we first got in ministry, people would say, we want to bring you something. We'd buy a house or move, into a move to a church, and they would say, we want to bring you something. What do you, what do you like? Anything you're allergic to? And I'd say, I'm allergic to nuts. I'm not. I just don't like nuts. But I needed them to not bring them. And I wanted them to take that serious, so seriously that I might die if they bring them. So just don't put brown, no, don't ruin brownies with nuts. Might as well just crumple tree bark on it. It's not, it's not good. And so we have, we have certain things about us, and I'm this type of person. One time I was preaching on worry, and a lady in her, um, I think it was late, early to mid-80s, I believe, met me at the back door and said, that sounds great, but it's just who I am. And I said, so you identify as a worrier? She said, yeah. I said, did God make you that way or was it your choice? She goes, I'm just, that's who I am. Oh, well, wow. She did not get it, as most of you do not now. But, 
what, how we identify ourselves is important. Like that, that is important. Like you know yourself, you know I'm tempted by this thing or I'm not tempted by this thing or I love this type of thing, but I don't love that type of thing. I'm good. I, I am good to interact with humans when I'm fed and well-rested. But I should not go to Walmart when I'm hungry. They give you that advice because they say, oh, you don't want to pick out bad foods. No, you don't want to murder anyone. That's what it is. You don't want to just aggressively ram someone with your car. Oh, fine, I'll just take the middle. I'll pick up my buggy. That's fine, yes. This, how we identify, or how we identify as just Christians, matters. But what's important to remember is that the thing you identify as should not be mixed with the message of Jesus. It should not be connected. It's okay to have it. It's okay to know yourself. I think that's, that's very important. Self-awareness. Now, it's, it's, there, there are triplets in that, in that household, and only one of them is healthy. Self-awareness is healthy. Self-consciousness, if you're self-conscious, not that healthy, and self-involved is really sick. But being aware of yourself, knowing your, your strengths and your weaknesses, that's, that's great. Knowing your likes and dislikes. That's great. Standing up for yourself. Wanting, wanting, having an opinion and sticking by it. That's great. But when we take the things that we think make us us and marry them to the things that we think would make Jesus better. If Jesus... All, all, if Jesus were here, he would be this. What, what denomination would Jesus go to if he, was a, if he was on earth now? I'm terrified to give an answer. We're not a denomination. Okay, quick, stop. What, what, where would he go? What would he be doing right now? I mean, if he were here, I can tell you I wouldn't be up here. But I doubt he'd look like you. I doubt he'd look like me. And some of the things I strongly identify with, I don't think he'd strongly identify with as well. Coming to those conclusions, coming to those, that understanding that Jesus is better than me. Jesus is better than me. Getting to that place where I can actually worship Jesus instead of trying to pull Jesus down to where I am. We do that with everybody we think is great, right? We hate success in people. Justin Bieber. Okay, so. (laughs) 
Now, just I always got to give that disclaimer. I don't really like his music. Wait, wait. When Justin Bieber became popular, he was playing songs he had written and posting them to YouTube. And someone found him and said, you need to be a recording artist and probably one day own a monkey. I don't know what he, he owns a lot of things. He's eccentric. But what happened was as soon as he became popular, everyone hated him so much. Why? Because we feel like he got lucky. Except, he had taken years of piano lessons, years of voice lessons, years of guitar. He'd practiced and practiced and practiced and got incredible at it. And we feel like, oh, well, he's, someone's great. We, if we feel like they're good and they've not earned it, oh, man, how we want to push people over. Like they're getting something they don't deserve. Why? What's that instinct in it? It's because we see the world as a scoreboard, as a game where those who have succeeded are somehow better and, and us down here, I, just topple them over, pull them down. And we do the same thing with Jesus, although we say, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus is untouchable, Jesus is great, Jesus saves. But if you could just be a little bit more like me, Jesus. If you could just have some similar opinions to me. Jesus. Jesus saves us because Jesus is greater than us. Jesus is better than us. And we've got to let it go when we try to, when we try to make Jesus look more like us. Would Jesus have all the same opinions you have? about all the same people you have strong opinions about. No. Jesus doesn't look like me. Both physically and his attitude. And, his, and that's why I needed Jesus to save me. That's why I needed Jesus. Because my identity isn't enough. So then why would I try to tie my identity to the one who saves me as if it's my job to save Jesus? This is a real struggle in the first century. Jesus was the Messiah, which is a Jewish word. We don't even call Jesus the Messiah anymore. We call him Christ, which is a Greek word. And it, can t it shows you how that, that whole thing went. In the first century, you had, you had Christians, J Jewish people following Jesus. And those Jewish people wouldn't tell you, I've converted to Christianity. That's, you'd say, what are you? I'm a Jew. I follow the Messiah. Jews were supposed to follow the Messiah. But then all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and the message is, this is not just for one kingdom, it's for the whole kingdom. The uni unity of the gospel that we, find, that we found in Ephesians is that 
all nations will be blessed through him. It's the promise of Genesis 12 whenever God talks to Abraham and says, I, I, I will make you into a great nation. And that's the first promise. The last promise of seven is, and all nations will be blessed through you. Jesus came to save all nations. And the Jews had trouble with that, and the Gentiles had trouble with that. Two different, very different groups having to be united. And Paul talks about a time where he showed up and had to get on to Peter. He had to scold Peter. Because Peter valued his identity more than Peter valued Jesus and the gospel. It's in Galatians chapter 2. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. The Gentiles are just anybody who's not Jews. Let's just, it's the, the Greek word actually should be translated the nations. It's just everybody else. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid who of those who belonged in the circumcision group. Not the greatest name for a street gang, but <laughs> he was afraid of those people. I'm glad y'all laughed at that. I was way too proud of it. <laughs> the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, pause for a second. Paul sees the unity of Jew and Gentile so closely tied to the gospel. As we saw in Ephesians, it's not just like, Something that happened because of the gospel. To Paul, this was the gospel. The, the truth, the, the surprise, the, the mystery of the gospel is that the, the nations now come together under one head that is Jesus. They are no longer divided. You can't just say the gospel is Jesus died and forgiveness of sins. Because the gospel is we have, we have forgiveness of sins on the cross, the conquering of death in the grave, and the, rule, the defeat of unity or defeat of division, the bringing together of the people through the throne. All nations, all tongues will surround the throne and worship. And he says that Paul, that Peter here, uh, Cephas and Peter are the same person. He says he was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. So we too have put, put our faith in the Messiah, the Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith, by trust in Christ. And not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews 
find ourselves also among the sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live for God. And I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the faith, I are not sorry, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me or loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says that Peter's identity was pulling him toward a place that wasn't healthy for him. Peter's identity was pulling him to a place that wasn't Christ-like. No matter how you act or who, how you were raised or um, what you feel, if your first identity isn't Christ, you aren't following Christ. If your first choice of what, what, what makes you react strongly to something, if your first, your first choice of, of um, lifestyle or your first choice of decisions about who, uh, who, who gets my attention and who doesn't, about who I'm going to eat with and who I'm not, if how you identify is your number one priority. You haven't been crucified with Christ. You, listen, you, you've got to give up yourself to follow Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean Paul quit making tents. Right? Paul, Paul was a tent maker. He, he made tents. And so he would go to a place and he would make tents. And he would sell them. That's what he did. But he wasn't, he wasn't first and foremost a tent maker. He was first and foremost a follower of Jesus and a proclaimer of the gospel of unity, of salvation, of forgiveness, of resurrection. And you don't have to give up who you are to follow Jesus. But you must make it less important than your following of Jesus. When, you come, when, when two come into contact to each, to each other, one, Jesus has always got to win. When they, when, they, when they butt heads, Jesus is always going to win. Jesus always has to win that battle. Because we are called to identify as Christ followers. That's why when we, when we die, what we want them to say is they followed Jesus. I, at my funeral, if they say anything else, more importantly, I'd, I'd, I'd just be mortified. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Words are great. Now, I would, I didn't do that on purpose. Um, but if what they say is, oh man, Benjamin loved the Razorbacks. 
Now, I can love the Razorbacks. But that's not my most important identity. Ah, oh, Benjamin loved to, um, I don't know, he loved music. I love music. I don't listen to a ton of it. I like playing it. But it's, I love that. Well, that's part of me. Well, what if, what if that part of me trumps the part of me that loves Jesus? What happens then? When I follow one identity so strongly that I'm neglecting my truest identity that is found only in Christ. And it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. But I can get worked up so much about this identity that Jesus gets neglected. And even more dangerous, I start marrying the two. And I start saying, well, if you're not this, then you can't be that. Your identity, who you are, is loved by God. Some of you can watch a Razorback in a golf tournament and be bummed for three minutes when he gets a bogey. Like some of you are that connected to that animal and that color. And I, I get it. That's okay. Grieve the Razorbacks. Right now we're in the season of hope. Next year will be the se- next, yeah, November. You're about the season of grief again. We'll be we'll be there for you too. Will Jesus will still be alive at that point, as well. And I can see some of you are still in the season of hope, and you're like, no, no, it's it's going to get better. I can get better. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, we wouldn't say, well, Jesus is a fan of the Razorback. Although the, he does talk about meek and lowly, but let's put it on. <laughs> we do say, we wouldn't say that. But the other parts, of, the other things in life where we identify with that thing or, um, yeah. Do you, know, do you know who racists use to justify their racism? Jesus. You know how you you know who um, the the Germans in um, the late 30s, early 40s used to justify their killing of Jews? Jesus. Not as much. Hitler wasn't a Christian. People were like Hitler was a Christian. He wasn't a Christian. Don't don't stop reading memes and read books. You know who the we go on and on. Hutus killing the Tutsis in Rwanda in the 90s. That hatred. They use, they use higher power language to justify the identity of hatred. 
And I can, I can guarantee you this. That, that Jesus can forgive the brokenness of racism. But if you walk into heaven as a racist, you will have to get over it quickly. Because all tongues, all tribes, all people. And at the heart, that's, that's the core of identity Jesus. Jesus plus our identity. Jesus plus white American. Is insane. Because I mean, Jesus was from Israel. It's just a geographic problem, really. But it's a problem of the heart. A reporter several years ago said people need to get over it. Santa Claus and Jesus are white. <laughs> and she later retracted it. It was kind of her. But as you know, as the credits are rolling, and then it's done. Traction's over. But the strong stance shows how, I, how we identify Jesus to look more like us than we are concerned about looking more like Jesus. Jesus was not white. And Santa Claus wears red. <laughs> Took a survey of the room real quick. So we, we are called to a higher identity. And that identity is an identity of unity, of forgiveness, of love and mercy. No matter what you look like, no matter where you're from, no matter what, what your primary language is, no matter, no matter what, we are called to look like Jesus. And Jesus would treat all people of every nation, every tribe, every language the same and loves all those people and whenever we would rather identify with something that doesn't love those people we are choosing not Jesus it, it, we have to give up our identity now I can't quit being white you see how that works I tried in middle school But I can't. I can't stop it. The other day I said, I said out loud, someone, Rachel said, we don't eat mayonnaise in this house. So I had to yell the, the sentence, I love mayonnaise, which was like, I felt the whitest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and I have moments like that. I'm a dad. I have dad moments. I can't stop it. I, Jesus loves me right in, in my skin. But as I proclaim that, I can't then also proclaim that Jesus feels, I can't, I lo Jesus loves me, but I love someone less because of their difference. Got to give up your identity and follow the one whose identity is greater than yours. Everybody in the room needs some repenting. 
Everybody in the room needs some prayers. But if your identity is just, you just can't divorce the two, the identity of Jesus, and you've married them together, and the children look a lot like you and nothing like Jesus. Then we want to pray with you. If you want to give up yourself today, Say, my identity is no longer work, isn't working. It's never worked. I want, to be, I want to be crucified with Christ. And I don't want to live anymore, but I want Christ to live in me. The one who loved me and gave himself for me, I want to give my life to them. Today's the day. Let's do that today. Whether you need prayers or you need to repent or you need to give up of yourself. Today's the day. Please come forward while we stand and while we stand.